It's go time. Previously on Third Down Gamble. That we have to know the players are involved and what goes on. But the fact that the CFL also employs a good number of American players, if people find out that some of this fund is going to pay player bonuses across the border, is that something that taxpayers would be wanting to do? So I think that, that therein lies a bit of the tricky part for being the CFL and saying, okay, if we're playing our players, the ones who are not living in Canada are going to take that pay somewhere else and, and potentially benefit that region as opposed to the region in Canada that they're playing within. First down. CFL training camps are underway, and I couldn't be more excited. Don, I, I think you missed something this week. Uh, that That is not the reality. What isn't the reality? No training camps. They have been postponed. You're in the COVID world right now. Unfortunately, as much as we'd like to see it going, it is not happening. Oh, rats. I was so hoping. Maybe maybe you wake up tomorrow, everything will be different. But uh, as it stands right now, there is no training camps, and... Uh, so we're going to discuss other things again this week. Oh, rats. All right. I guess first and foremost, uh, the CFLPA has met with the Finance Committee. And that was a positive sign. Solomon and Lumimian certainly impressed uh, Kevin Waugh mm-hmm. and felt very strongly that they had done a good job. He did. And it's, uh, I think it's hopeful as well in the fact that you've got the CFLPA agreeing that, yes, we have to be in it together and move forward. And uh, so hopefully... This is the beginning of working together to solve this issue. It is very important that all sides get together. The big thing that has been sort of flying around is that why did the commissioner not have this in place prior to the very first meeting? Because you sort of wonder to yourself, if your constituents need you, then why wouldn't you include them as well? Yep. And, and I mean, that was not long after the same point when the CFLPA kind of walked away because the CFL didn't seem to be bringing them on board. So maybe that was also a statement from the CFLPA. You, know, you try it on your own, <laughs> see how this goes. And it didn't go over well. I doubt that that would be the case. It seems like a little bit of a sandbox issue where that's my dump truck. No, that's my shovel. And mm-hmm. All that sort of stuff. I just think that moreover, that perhaps there was never a plan to include them in the first place. Uh, that's just speculation. But mm-hmm. anyway, uh, whether it was or wasn't, it seems to have been a misplay. And as a result, getting the CFLPA now in front of that standing finance committee has made a world of difference in terms of how people view this situation from the federal government's side. It doesn't mean that the loan is coming, not that I'm aware as of yet, but certainly it moves the process down the line with a better feel to it. It does, and certainly coming from Kevin Waugh, that's who we heard about, uh, the person who said that he was happy to see that uh, the CFL went there, and and he had lots of good things to say about the CFL as a former broadcaster. I think uh, he certainly appears to be on side, but at the end of the day, it's not Kevin Waugh's decision, it's a Government of Canada decision. If you want to get this done, you're going to have to have probably a little bit more than just yep, one person, uh, one party <laughs> going yep. for this because there are four and this is a minority government. So if the conservatives go on side with the liberals, then you know for a fact this is going to happen. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's got to be the Bloc Quebecois and the NDP siding with the liberals. And if they do that, then the Tories may or may not support. It's up to them. But notwithstanding that to 
grant this loan to the uh, Canadian Football League. There is a due process in the legislature that has to happen. The CFL is no different than any other company going before them asking for help. Mm -hmm. And they will be, as what I read from one minister, they will be dealt with in due course. But there's no timeline as of yet from the federal government's side. No, a lot of decisions still to be made, but on, on a positive side, they're still talking, just like the CFL is still talking about, um, you know, the idea of how this league could move forward in the event that they're allowed to play again this year. They have formed uh, separate subcommittees, the CFLPA and the CFL, to look at how they can play an eight-game season post-September the 1st. Mm-hmm. And the key to that is is that they are not probably going to look at a situation where every member city is going to be hosting football games. They're going to look at situations that have been proposed in the major leagues of baseball, in the National Hockey League, in the NBA, where you have a specific site or sites where the teams gather. There are protocols attached to what happens while you're there, and then you play the games only there. A two-venue approach is sort of what has been tossed out. The one venue out east, the one venue out west. Yep, and and I think that's in the CFL, particularly if you are going to move to a schedule where you're playing east versus east and west versus west, that definitely makes sense. It totally makes sense because you cut down the travel, as it were, although there will be no travel if you're only playing in one center. Mm-hmm. and then you have to deal with all kinds of other oh boy. protocols in terms of fan attendance, in terms of uh, player activity outside of practice and outside of games. The coaching is what I'm thinking. How do you, without your facilities, get all that you need done to prepare for the next week done? They have to even the playing field because if it's hosted in two teams' home stadiums and they have access to all of that and others don't, does that not create a bit of an unfair playing field? I don't think that that will be an issue because when we look at Canadian football regular season activities, typically you only have one practice a day. So if there's only four teams, plenty of hours in the day to get all your practice time in for each team. You need video, you need meeting rooms, certainly in a larger center out east and a larger center out west, those would all be available. Or Or universities. Even within stadiums. Uh, there are so many places that could do this. So you just have to have an allotment of schedule that you get it at this point, then the next team, then the next team, then the next team. Take turns. You'll get into your own habits, your own routines as a result of this, and I don't think anyone's going to be really disadvantaged. No, and I think most cities also, um, where they're playing, there's going to be a university team as well, depending on whether university football moves forward or not. You might be able to have, let's say, two of the teams that are in a center able to use the university facilities for their tapes, their games, their practices, even if you wanted to. If universities, if they do not come back with students in the fall, there may be a lot of residences that could be available. You bet. And you could house teams there. I'm hopeful of this. I guess the next question, of course, is going to be which hubs would be the ones to be considered. I think a lot of CFL teams and cities and mayors would love to have that. And we've already heard people coming forward from the Argonauts, from Saskatchewan and BC saying, we think we would be able to do that. It's going to be a tough decision for whomever when they come down to making that decision. John Tory, the mayor of Toronto, has sort of hinted that there really isn't 
a chance that many games could be played in Toronto until certain conditions are satisfied within the city itself. Mm -hmm. So Toronto may be a little bit more of a of an issue. Montreal, given the situation of Montreal, change to the positive has to happen there mm -hmm. if they were going to try to play in Montreal. So you're left with Hamilton and Ottawa. Both are viable. Absolutely, and and both are easy hubs to be able to get in and out of. And, and in both cases, I think as well, you've got some places where players can stay and, and potentially use alternate facilities to do some other things if that is in fact needed. It's going to be interesting. The one thing that happened this past weekend was that NASCAR ran a race. Mm -hmm. And you don't think that football and NASCAR have much in common, but in this circumstance, they do. Because NASCAR had to set up a whole series of requirements for their people so that everybody would be COVID safe within the confines of physical distancing. Yep. So there were strict guidelines that they had enforced throughout that event. And now the watch is on to see if anything comes of this, meaning is there going to be a little mini burst of COVID Absolutely. through this? Or if there's not, and it worked, then other leagues are going to say, hey, okay, what did they do right? We got to take a look at this. And, and I think that's where the CFL has a, a bit of an advantage because you've got other leagues that are looking to potentially finish off their seasons by running playoffs. And, uh, you know, if the NBA and or the NHL move into that situation, the CFL is going to be able to learn from their experience, as will all the other leagues around the world, as to what works, what doesn't work, and they can put the players in a situation and, and the coaches and the you know referees, everyone that's involved in producing a game to make sure that they're safe as, as they move forward back to competition. Well, some professional soccer leagues in Europe have started again mm -hmm. and they are under the microscope and it's going to be a real fascinating litmus test across the board. You've got a one North American sport that really cranked it up. You've got few in Europe that have cranked it up. If they can manage and control and that we don't see a bump, then I think that there's possibility for the CFL to play a two hub or maybe in every center as they would want to. Their problem really, I don't think, is the Canadian cities as much as what's happening south of the border. It is. The border still being closed is a huge flag at this point in time. And, and for the amount of COVID that is rampant in the United States where many of the players are going to be coming from. Yes, you have to isolate, but if they bring them in and they're in contact, not a great situation for the league to be putting people at risk. Then you have to negotiate with the federal government and the provinces to allow people to cross the border because if these borders remain closed, you have to have permission to bring people in to work here. Mm -hmm. And the CFL is no different than the farmers that need help planting crops and harvesting. They have to follow the same sort of protocols. And if they're going to do it, then how do you make it work? Do they all come in on the same jet? What do you do and physically and practically? And even that, if you bring everyone in, if you've chartered out some flights that stop down in major centers in the United States and pick everyone up, you're also bringing them all together. If one player happens to have it and isn't showing symptoms, then you're waiting for the 14 requisite days and, and uh, potentially spreading it further. That, that, I think, is the risk of even playing in one center. But what if you, what if you roll the calendar back and say, okay, we're going we're gonna to be in Atlanta, Georgia, we're going to be in Dallas, Texas, and we're going to be somewhere else, like wherever. Yep. And keep moving it through. Yep. But, roll it, but roll it back for the players and say for two weeks, 
you have to be self-isolated and tested showing that you're not. I, I, and then when you... I was going to say, I think that absolutely you have to have something like that done, right? And, and that uh, is going to ensure safety before you even get to move towards the Canadian border. If this all comes to pass, it's sort of like being at a wedding and waiting for the table number to be called out. Mm-hmm. You're kind of hoping that eventually you're going to be moving, but at, and that that doesn't even deal with the situation of revenue streams right now because we don't know if there's going to be fan attendance at these games. If there is fan attendance, how do you manage it? Season ticket holders will have a say. You can't... It is. You can't imagine all of the scenarios that these guys are working through. Well, and I, I think you have to decide which part of the scenario to bite off first. And I think the first thing is, is it even doable? Can we get to one hub center? And that certainly seems to be what we're hearing is the discussion now. And then once you say, yes, that's feasible, then as you said, how, how do you look at revenues? The CFL is going to put the product on TV. Is TSN changing their amount they're paying? Are we doing a pay-per-view or... People who have season tickets allowed in and, and, you know, take a bit of money from the season ticket. It's going to be interesting to see how this operates. The practicality of that is wide open. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure there are a lot of people with a lot of opinion about how this can proceed. And there could be some very off-the-wall ideas that may be just what is needed. It's so hard to know. It's, it's a really tough one. And when you've got Braley saying, well, if we don't play this year, there may never be another or the, another season for the CFL. You just, oh, I was rolling my eyes and like, really? You had to say that? Yeah. Really? <laughs> As an owner, you had to say that. Now, is that is that a pressure point for him to try to exact something to say, hey, wake up everybody? Or is this a, oh, well, it's over. I would see it as being a pressure point. I mean, David Braley's been invested in the CFL for a long time, and he, I think, wants to see this go. The reality is what he says could be true, but you don't want someone to come out there and necessarily state that. So my hope is that it, it's more so to say, let's get something going so we can see if we can operate our league this year rather than trying to wait through to the next year. Somehow find a way to play eight games and then playoffs and then Grey Cup this year. But so much depends on the spread of COVID and especially in the United States, I really do think that the CFL's concerns as much as they are North of the border are maybe doubly so South of the border because there just doesn't seem to be a rhyme or reason as to how certain leadership in the United States is approaching this issue. Remember for proper physical distancing, if you're close enough to shake hands, you're too close. The recommended distance in CFL terms is two yards. Don't get a no yards penalty. Make sure you stay back at least two yards to maintain proper physical distancing. Second down. And as promised, it's trivia time. Woo-hoo. So, Pat, I hope you got your thinking cap on. We are going to put some questions to you. 
okay, so I need to know how this is going to work. Give me some rules because I, I'm, I'm, I could really embarrass myself here and I, I want to limit it as much as possible. Okay, if we're going to be going through the rule book, number one, we have to define what modern era is. And I'm going to be only asking questions of the modern era of the CFL. And that is going to be defined as post-World War II, so 1945 and beyond. Don, that's not really that modern. <laughs> now, now I'm concerned because I'm not sure. <laughs> 1945? Oof. Well, that's only about six weeks before you were born, right? So. Uh, yeah, yeah, right. Thanks. <laughs> Remember, you are older than I am. Oh, crap. Don't talk like that. <laughs> All right. So there'll be three questions. You'll get 30 seconds to answer each question. Questions can be true or false, multiple choice, or even fill in the blank. The other important thing to remember is anytime there's a reference to Ottawa, it so, encompasses the Red Blacks, Renegades, and Rough Riders unless otherwise specified. Wow, that that's unless otherwise specified. Is there some team I'm not aware of? <laughs> no, it means the question is specific to that team. So okay, panic good. not, my friend. Thank you. I was wondering, okay, in 1940s, I didn't know. Maybe there's... <laughs> All right, so are okay. you ready? And I am. Are our are, are listeners get a chance to play along here too, Don? Oh, for sure. They can definitely okay. do it. I mean, the one advantage of listening to this podcast is you can always get the question, yep. <laughs> quote, find out the answer, then play it again for your friends and answer the question correctly and go, hey. If, <laughs> if that's the case, I am going to bet on the fans. <laughs> You don't have to. Let me get Google out quick. No, okay. I'm not going to cheat. All right. I don't want any cheating. We'll do this the, the honest way. Okay, so. And if I have no idea, can I say undecided? What? <laughs> you, you what? <laughs> I said, if I have no idea to the answer, can I choose undecided? Unknown? No. <laughs> you have to come up with an answer. There's not much point in asking if you don't. All right. I'll do my best. Put up an effort to try to answer. I will do my best. All right. Here we go. Question one. Okay. Which two-team matchup has played in more Grey Cups in the modern era? Edmonton, Montreal, Calgary, Ottawa, or Winnipeg, Hamilton? I'm going to say Edmonton, Montreal. And why would you say that? Well, I remember watching uh, in the late 70s and 80s. Uh, those were the teams that I saw as the powerhouses during that time, and I know they probably were prior to that. Time's up. Answer is correct. Um, it is Edmonton and Montreal. Just off the top of your head, how many times do you think they've met in the Grey Cup? Wow. Going back to 1945, you're saying? Mm-hmm. Let's go about 21. <laughs> A little high. 11. 11, okay. Which is a staggering number. Oh, that's close. Second is Winnipeg-Hamilton with... Is. See, now I would not have guessed that. Winnipeg-Hamilton. How many times? Nine times. Wow. Most of those happened in the uh, 50s and 60s. Okay. I learned something new then. But Edmonton-Montreal, for whatever reason, whenever they play, it's like three yeah. in a row, three in a row. They're just... They happen in bunches. Well, that's what I remember, I think. That's my some of my earliest memories were those two teams being matched up. All right, let's go to question number two. Okay, one for one. Here's where I dropped the 500. You're batting a 1,000. <laughs> question number two. 
Winnipeg in the Grey Cup has faced every team in the modern era with two exceptions. Okay, I'm going to say BC. And I have no idea why I'm choosing BC. You said every team with two exceptions. So yeah, I'm going to say BC, and if I had a second guess, I would probably say Saskatchewan. No, that's not true. I cannot say that. They wouldn't be Saskatchewan. Time's up. You are incorrect. Okay, which two? They have not played Ottawa nor Montreal. Really? Mm -hmm. It is true. That is surprising. Again, this is modern era. This is the distinction, modern era. Winnipeg has played Ottawa prior to the modern era in the Great right. Cup. Wow. That's, uh, I learned something new. And I am at 500 as predicted. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry about the score. I'll just tally it at the end. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Sounds good. All right. Question three. Edmonton wore green and white. True or false? You know what? I'm going to say true on that one. And I would say it probably came in a time when the riders weren't wearing green and white. True. So you're going to live with that? I am. And? You're correct. But they did it at a time when the riders wore green and white. Oh, really? In... 1953, the Eskimos had a green and white uniform with gold helmets. Okay, so there's where the gold came in. Look at that. Yeah, I learned something there. I, I mean, honestly, I was just guessing there. I did not know that. But that must have got a good deal on green and white that year. Uh, in the 50s, uniforms were kind of a potpourri <laughs> from year to year. In fact, even within a year. Yeah, yep, what, whatever you got. Talking to Superfan Mike about this, there were times when teams would maybe have three different kits in a season just because of availability and the number of jerseys that they had to use in a season. That's hard to imagine in this day and age. Yeah, we've moved so far beyond that to the point now where uh, if you change your uniform, it's your third uniform because you're looking at marketing and sales. And So how did it feel to go through episode one of Trivia? That was uh, that was good, Don. I um, I I surprised myself. <laughs> I did not think I would do that well, but thank you to you and and even Superfan Mike vetting that one. Those those were good. I may have to see if I can <laughs> come up with ones to stump you, but I don't know. I I'll have to get Superfan on the phone. <laughs> He's the guy who has all the stats, not me. Third down gamble. Games in the fall or the season canceled. This is from Dave Graham who's a Stamps fan. Dave, thanks for asking the question. And the honest answer is we don't know. We uh, are dealing with uh, updates daily. We're talking, as I said earlier, with public health officials. We're talking with all of our the cities and the provinces and, of course, the federal government, trying to understand kind of how they're seeing this all unfold. The truth is right now we don't know how this is going to play out. That's why it was so important to rally around several scenarios that uh, would give us the possibility of playing if we can. And of course, we are aware that the, the very real possibility exists that we won't play this year. But as they say, uh, hope springs eternal and we're gonna try to keep a, a positive attitude and hope that somehow, some way we'll play in 2020. And, and of course, uh, it'll all depend on what happens uh, with the virus 
and uh, and the advice we get from public health. Breaking news today, Don. Uh, the CFO Commissioner, Randy Ambrosi, held a season ticket holder town hall and uh, talked a lot about what's coming for the CFL. Brody Lawson, I thought, did a wonderful job hosting the event. And it was quite fascinating. It was not anything that was prepared for the commissioner to answer. These questions came in, and I give him credit for how he performed. I thought that he was very honest, candid. But as we heard in the outset, the first thing that is up for grabs is this 2020 season, which is this perpetual motion machine that never seems to stop but never seems to get anywhere. Absolutely. So the commissioner identified that that is not going to start at least until September, which I think we knew anyway, but it was good to hear the confirmation, but also gave some some interesting tidbits of information as to how the whole league could play out if indeed it goes this year. There was confirmation that the East would play the East, the West would play the West, but then the tricky part comes to the Grey Cup. Regina technically is not going to be hosting the 2020 Grey Cup because part of it, and I totally agree with the commissioner on this thought, part of the whole idea of awarding Regina the whole Grey Cup week and the festival that goes with were the festivities. Mm -hmm. Without that, that would be a pretty tough sell, I think, and fairly the commissioner reacted by saying to Regina with their blessing that uh, the Rough Riders weren't going to have to bear the burden of having nobody but maybe just fans in the stands for the Grey Cup game. It is. I mean, CFL Grey Cup is truly a festival, and without the opportunity to have people gather, it's it's not going to be that festivity. So I think he's done the prudent thing in, in terms of postponing till 2022 the Riders' opportunity to host, although... He did uh, leave room for them to have a potential host if they happen to be the best team in the Grey Cup. Yes, this is a totally different way of doing things, and it really comes down to best record gets to host. In a shortened season, in an incredibly tough situation, it is something that I would say quite uh, significantly is going to impact not only the season but the playoffs if there is a 2020, and ultimately best team should, by all rights, get to host. If they're going to have it in two centers, which he also spoke to briefly, and we'll get to that at a different time, but if they're going to have games in two centers and, and uh, you know, at the end you're you're allowing the top team to be able to host, to me it makes perfect sense. You're not going to have the festivities. You're not going to have all of the things that the Great Cup week has traditionally held, so best team gets a crack to hold it in their stadium. I, I like the idea. Now, the only thing concerning to me about that is that He's also talked about what it would look like moving to December. Boy, a a game in the prairies in December could be ugly. Well, I think a game in late November is quite often ugly. And (laughs) it can be. If anyone has watched the 1970 Western final, Saskatchewan and Calgary, that was in November, and that was one of the coldest days on record. Mm -hmm. So I've always argued that there's no need to play a great cup beyond the first week of November. Have it. The first Sunday in November, have Remembrance Day, the next event coming up. And then you can definitely show your uh, support for the the troops mm-hmm. and the veterans in Grey Cup as Remembrance Day is coming, not something past. Previously, I think the CFL was looking at moving things up and had explored that. But uh, again, we're in a different situation in this time. And when you start in September, in order to play the games that would be needed to at least rank people before playoffs, I think it, it's prudent to explore all the options, including potentially pushing into December. 
I agree. And Ambrosi himself said that, that they had been moving the Grey Cup earlier, and this seems to be contrarian to that. Mm-hmm. that now, all of a sudden, it could be a December Grey Cup. Now, December Grey Cups were quite common they were. 40, 50 years ago. That was not unusual. Mm-hmm. And out east, if the Grey Cup is held there, typically the weather is milder than it is on the prairies. Now, if British Columbia happens to host, That's right. we don't have to worry on the west. But I'm always a big can't stand being inside to watch a game. I want to be outside. That's the whole point of watching football to me. It is. The only thing that I, I like, I guess, is when you get the, the two teams in a dome situation, then, then the, the inclement weather doesn't come into play quite the same way. But I agree that's part of the game, and that's why we go through the CFL in Canada. Um, all of our stadiums are pretty well open door with the exception of two that have the potential to be closed. Well, technically three. Uh, you've got Montreal, Toronto, and British Columbia. Three, I guess, technically with Montreal. Yep. That's true. And they're all great stadiums. Like the, it's not like they're poor stadiums. They're they're all have their bonuses for playing there. Mm-hmm. But it's just my personal I don't want to look up and see a roof if I'm watching a football game. I want to see a sky. Having said that, I don't want to sit in minus 30 either. So, hmm, that's why the Grey Cup should be played no later than the first Sunday of November. Commissioner, our next question comes from Robert, who's a Red Blacks fan, who asks, if there is no season this year, what happens to the players that signed a one-year contract for 2020? Does that team still keep them for the next year? That these are things that we're going to have to talk to the Players Association about. There was no planning for a pandemic. In our collective bargaining agreement, in collective bargaining agreements from all the leagues around the world, nobody had a line of sight to a pandemic scenario. Uh, so all of these things are going to have to be discussed the player association as, as partners at the table to figure out what's best going forward. Look, I, I know in talking to uh, Solomon and Brian, as have many of my colleagues, the players want to play. They love this league as, as much as anyone possibly can. They're committed to the future of this league and we're committed to working with them, have them help us get through the crisis and ultimately help us get back onto the field whether that be in 2020 or 2021, but we want to be better and stronger as we go forward. And that's going to require that we work together as partners. Talk, uh, Don, just about some of the other things then. Um, There was some interesting information from the commissioner about player contracts. Yes, there was. The commissioner admitted, and I think every league has come through this door and realized the same thing, is that absolutely nobody could have countenanced COVID. Mm -hmm. Now, some may argue theoretically that you could look back to the Spanish flu, but how many leagues were around back then (laughs) that could have any notes on this? The Grey Cup wasn't competed during the uh, Spanish flu 100 years ago. But notwithstanding that, when you come to to players now, you how do you write it into a contract in the case of a pandemic? These rules apply because you just have nothing on which to base this. Like I said, it's a hundred years. The CFL technically wasn't around then. The league itself formed in 58, but the CRU was there from way before. But even at- and, and let's be fair, back in, in the late 1919 era, the world was so much different that, that it's incomparable, to be honest, with the technology, with the ability to travel and the ability to bring players from around North America. That just wasn't the case back then. So I think uh, whether it's this league or, or to something like hockey, I still don't think you can compare hockey, even though you had teams and you had original six working through it some of the time, as well as others. I don't think there's any comparison. Nobody can expect this to happen. Now that we're here, how do we proceed? And one of the 
problems that you have is that you don't have any language in the player contract that specifically addresses this. I think you and I have been over this three or four times. Oh, yeah. And that specific clause about suspension. Mm-hmm. Well, what constitutes suspension? Well, here we go. This is brass tax time in terms of the negotiation with the Players Association and the CFL. My sense of today was that the commissioner during the town hall meeting was really, I think, getting a, a decent vibe that the CFLPA really wants to work together with him to find a joint positive solution so that it works for everybody, that there isn't this adversarial, too bad for you, we're, we're go, the contract doesn't specify this, we're, we can do whatever. There, there just doesn't seem to be that feel to it at all. In fact, it's quite the opposite that they realize that this is an impossible situation and the PA wants to do its best as well. It will be interesting to see when the uh, CFLPA comes out with, with their statement in regards to the information provided, if, if they're coming along with the same idea of collaboration, because as we've spoken to many times, uh, without working together, without having a same common goal, you certainly don't enhance the ability for the CFL to move forward. I think so much of, of the uh, relationship between the PA and the CFL is conjecture mm-hmm. based on outside observation. And we don't really know what goes on in those rooms. Yeah, okay, they did break off negotiations for a little while. But some will argue, well, they were heated and that's why they had to go. Maybe they both agreed that, hey, we needed to back away. Aluminium put out that note to the players and totally within his right. But that's all part of negotiation. I don't think there was anything untoward on either side. So if you can work through the hard stuff, then you can find a common bond. And I think that common bond is what everybody sees as keeping this league vibrant. Absolutely. And I mean, you can be adversarial in a time when there's no COVID-19 situations or, or something coming in. But but now that that is uh, the situation, uh, to me, they bury any of the past and you move forward to try to find something that works for both sides. And then you come back to it. The negotiation will resume when everything is back to normal and players have an opportunity to renegotiate as well as the CFL has an opportunity to determine are we standing strong or where do we stand so we can work together to, to build this league and continue on the tradition. Well, and that's a great point that you make. The other thing too that was discussed in terms of players was what if, and we talked about it in part one, what if players can't come out of the United States? Mm-hmm. And the question was in the town hall, would you go with a limited number of teams and make them all Canadian? So maybe two teams form, to, the Hamilton-Toronto form to make a team, Ottawa-Montreal form to make a team. There's an odd team out in all of this. Mm-hmm. So some somebody would have to be a three-part connection. The commissioner almost out of hand said, uh-uh. And, and I think the commissioner is not about forming a league that are Canadians playing only. So I think he's he's right to say that. I don't think that's something that unless unless the players bring it forward, unless everyone's on the same side that this is indeed what we're going to do, I don't think it's within his rights to say, yes, we're going to. Another league could potentially be expanded to do that. But again, I don't see people rushing to do it unless it has some kind of connection to CFL. So I think good on him. I can't see the PA going for it. I, granted, their constituents are... Canadian and American, Mm -hmm. for the most part, they don't really want to see this happen. I can't understand what would motivate the Americans. And and let's let's put it in this context. You play for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. You play for the Hamilton Tiger Cats. You want to get back at each other in another Grey Cup this year. But if you're told no, and just the, the guys up north get to play for it, 
what would that do to your psyche? Like, how angry would you be if you were denied that opportunity? Team members, I don't think, want to step out on their other team members either, right? Uh, to me, I think it's an all-or-nothing type of situation that uh, the league as it stands within the organization and, and the players uh, has to determine we're either all in or we're all, we're all out, right? It's not an exclusive type of situation which could further divide Canadians from Americans when when we play football it's about building a team and having everyone work together and to me I, I think it it was a good answer that Ambrosi gave to to stand firm and not to even get into that speculation well he was very polite about it but ultimately he knows what mm-hmm. has to happen and that has to be that everybody's in this together because they have to cooperate with the Players Association. So the CFL is fully apprised and fully aware that they need them to be on board. So going out and trying to drive a wedge is probably the worst thing that they could do. And Ambrosi's fully aware of that and wants no part of it. And it's not like the question was trying to bring that out. The question was, is this an alternative? Yep, and we've said before, I mean, the CFL has been taking a look at all the alternatives. And I think with today's uh, town hall meeting, it, it was clear that they've done a lot of speculation in different ways, different ways that we didn't even necessarily see coming. But, I mean, they're, 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 they've made some decisions to move forward. And, you know, as, as Grey Cup ticket holders, I know I was disappointed that it's not going to be here, but I was excited to hear it's going to be here in 2022 when we talk about it being in Saskatchewan. And at the same point, um, you know, the uh, opportunity to go to Nova Scotia, we did find out today that indeed that that will be cancelled with it happening in September. That was scheduled, I believe, for July 25th. And the league just cannot go in in this situation, which is, is too bad. But I, 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 again, I credit the commissioner for identifying that, it, you know, the Atlantic Canadians are part of the CFL and there's something we want to get back to in the future when we have the opportunity to do so. Well, and I thought he was very eloquent and very heartfelt when he said they wanted to do something for Halifax, given what happened in that area in the last while. So the CFL will not abandon the Atlantic coast. They will not abandon the schooners. There is no way that they're going to give up on that dream. And that's going to be part of the next CFL as we move out of COVID and into a, a new era of the Canadian Football League, that the Atlantic Schooners and the Atlantic Canada is going to be a very significant part of this whole community. I'm extremely excited to see that because I think that would truly bring us coast to coast. And uh, that, that for me, is is what we want, a balanced league. So hopefully they're, they're able to move forward as a league with all the situations coming out. And I, I again, credit Ambrosi for going to the town hall, answering some tough questions and and putting out there what they've been thinking of. I think that's been a very good thing for the CFL to do and, and good for us as fans. It's keeping us engaged. Thank you for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean. Third Down Gamble can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter where our handle is at Third Down Gamble. That's spelled at T-H-I-R-D-D-O-W-N G-A-M-B-L-E. Join us again next time. The Third Down Gamble Podcast. Audio. Worth watching. Mm-hmm.